Welcome to We Drink and We Know Things, a weekly podcast doused in alcohol and lit with knowledge. Clinkies! Hello. Hello. What's up? Welcome to We Drink and We Know Things, the podcast. Yeah, number 17. Um, Episode 17. A big 17. That means the last episode was 16. <laughs> the wittiest banter on this podcast. I hope that's what you guys are coming for. We're getting close to 20. Yeah, that's going to be a landmark for us, Is I think. Is that full episodes? We're full Yeah, that's 20 full. We're, we've 16? already breached 20 total episodes. So, right. Yeah. What? That's pretty crazy. We did a weird thing. Not a weird thing. A different thing. Yeah. Last week, we posted an after show. Yes. Which is like really different than what we normally do. So, I loved it. I thought it was super fun. Yeah, we had a lot of fun yeah, doing it. Fun. <laughs> you guys might not have enjoyed it, but we had a really good time doing it. We sort of just spitball questions to each yeah, other. Just had a good time. I came up with some questions and just asked. Grilled me on yeah, them. Yeah, and then oh, Tom had to just give me his like answers in like five seconds. Yeah. So we're not thinking, as easy as it sounds, by the way. We're thinking about doing that as maybe like an after show thing to yeah. kind of wind down from like the traumatic shit that mainly i talk about <laughs> you're just dishing it out man you're just dishing out that heavy shit and so if you guys like it let us know what you think yeah. Yeah. email us what's our email oh my god it's every fucking word in the dictionary it's uh we drink and we know things podcast we drink and we know things podcast at, at gmail.com gmail. yeah. we haven't yeah. said that in a while it's been a minute i think we say it literally every episode do we i think we're pretty yeah, good about it i don't know well email us yeah, let us know. Let, let us know what you think. I mean, just email us I think us we're going to keep doing it either way because it's fun. Yeah. So. Oh, speaking of emails, we got an email. Shout out to Daniel. I won't say your last it. name, but he emailed us and to let me know that my birth year is the year of the snake. Yes. Because in the last episode, we talked I'm about that. snake. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what mine was. And he emailed to let us know. Oh, thanks, awesome. Daniel. Thanks, bro. You're G. Thanks for listening and keep thanks for answering yeah thanks for all the stuff yeah. man. thanks for it's listening awesome. yeah it's awesome appreciate you okay so i guess next why don't you tell us what we're gonna be drinking yes. thomas yes i've crafted a beverage this is the cocktail corner yes i don't think that cocktail. that's a great name for the segment cocktail but alley cocktail, cocktail alley. that sounds like a much different thing Mm. Hey, oh. That sounds like roofies mm, waiting to happen. Right. Flories. All right, this looks really pretty. Yeah. There's so, a lemon on it. Yeah, I made a little garnish. Figure for the last one. Well, so last week we didn't do a cocktail, but I was drinking homebrew. Right. Uh, this week. So something you made. Yeah. Yeah, just it took way longer than a cocktail. <laughs> this is what I'm going to call for the sake of the episode. Okay. Okay. Where'd you come up with the name? The name is in reference to what I'm going to talk about. But it oh, is then a, maybe you shouldn't say it. You'll never guess in a 10 oh, okay. million years. Okay, cool. Then. I'm very confident. Okay. Okay. I'm calling it the Sleepy Fortune Teller. Oh, yeah. I have no idea. Okay, cool. Okay. And so It looks... It's very pretty. Yeah. And so we're going through, you know, the uh, fucking polar vortex is descending on us right now. And so it's we're in the dead of winter, so I thought we could do something a little... Crispier, a little nicer, a little, little maybe inspire us to think about spring a little bit. Okay. So we got bourbon in here. Groundhog's Day is around the corner, and it might last forever. Which is also my brother-in-law's birthday. Oh, nice. What up? What up, Seth? Yeah. We got bourbon in this bad boy. Okay. I use Buffalo Trace. Okay, that's not a plug. They don't know about us. <laughs> Fresh lemons. I hand juice those bitches. 
This like little lemon garnish is very cute. It's did you take good. a picture? We have to post. A I did. I did take a few. I plan to post them on the website. With uh, the recipe. Yeah, which I did for the last one. If you guys are interested in how I make an old fashioned, they're they're on the website. Please, please go to the website. <laughs> go to the fucking website. Uh, so did you th- come up with this on your own? No, this is actually uh, a different drink. Uh, also known as uh, a gold rush, which is a play, which is a bourbon version of the bee's knees, which is a gin cocktail. Oh, gin. I was almost going to do both, but I, I know that I think gin's going to freak you out a little bit. So you went with bourbon. So we went with bourbon. So bourbon, which is Buffalo Trace, fresh lemon juice, and then I made a simple syrup from the leftover honey from my last batch of mead. I had a little cool. honey left over, so I made a simple syrup with it. So that is that. Clinky. Clinkies. That's a, that's a good clink there. Came in good. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You can't even tell that that's bur- like. There's more bourbon in there than anything else. I mean, I like bourbon, else. but that's like, just that's good, tastes right? like lemonade. Yeah, it's good, right? Ooh. Your boy's good at it. Good thing I'm going first, because. This might give me a drink. Yeah. Because I've already had a little rosé. It's super easy to make, too, and it's great for the get-togethers and stuff. So, mm. And it's pretty. It's so pretty. I like to make good-looking cocktails, Ooh, that's man. really good. It's super good, right? Yeah. All fresh that's stuff. That's very good. Um, Just a quick... I know we often talk about stuff that we were watching, we've watched, that we're into. What are you about to drop on them? Ted Bundy conversations with oh, a killer. Jesus. The that Ted was, Bundy tapes. Holy... F- I just want to take a second and say I did not understand the gravity of that man and Same. of his pop of, of his of his, you know, the fascination with him, the the things that he did and the things that he got away with. I it's mean, remarkable. Like, no spoilers, but go watch that shit. I knew a lot about Ted Bundy as a true crime. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Aficionado. If whatever you I am. Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> potato. <laughs> potato. <laughs> And you were actually the one that suggested watching it because yeah, I didn't even bring yeah, it up because yeah. you're not that into true crime. I'm coming around. No, you're not as into it as I am, so I didn't right. really think that you'd want to watch like right. a thing about Ted Bundy. Yeah. And you brought it up and we watched it and wowzers. Wowzers it's is an understatement. good, yeah. bad, good, it's bad. It's fascinating. Yeah. Either way, it's very fascinating to watch. And then I'm sure everybody done seen that Zac Efron promo that dropped. Yeah, for- I literally watched it right before we He's started actually recording. not a bad pick for the dude. No. He's not a bad pick. Well, he's a little too ripped, but. We I mean, I don't know. I, I never like saw Ted Bundy shirtless. So we he, totally did. There was that one. There was a, there were like pictures of him. I'm not, I don't, I didn't save them on my phone and I'm looking you at them like, and stuff. Are you, are you <laughs> I don't think Ted Bundy's attractive. I just put it out there. Well, it's weird. The, the, so if you don't know, the movie is coming out um, yeah. with, and Zac Efron is playing Ted Bundy and. He weirdly like he he favors he's him, yeah. like way more attractive than Ted Bundy. Well, yeah, he's the Hollywood version. But the I just watched the trailer literally right before we started recording because I hadn't watched yet and I knew we were going to talk yeah. about this. And he, it's the trailer's like, yeah, I thought that as well when I watched it. I mean. And I think that there's been a lot of talk about them like maybe they're glamorizing it a little bit. Yeah. But the one of the one of the women who survived Ted, one of Ted Bundy's attacks, who's actually in the documentary we watched, yeah, she actually, from what I know, came out and said like she thinks it's good that they're making him so attractive because that was one of yeah the main things that made him such a successful serial killer. Just because he's cute does not mean he will not kill you. No, but that made him. You know, he was. It was easy for him to get women. Yeah, which was his. Know. Which was his victim of choice. For those that don't know. Right. Well, I think that mine might be a little long. I think yours might be a little long. So we should probably crack it on into it. 
Yeah. Also, just really quick as a side, if this is your first time listening to We Drink and We Know Things, we have a, we do a kind of fun thing. Andrea's going to tell me a story that I don't know, never heard of. I don't know what she's going to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to talk about some stuff that she doesn't know that I'm going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, so the house is very secretive when we're going into these recording sessions. We can't like walk. She's very adamant about me not being in the same room. Because of all my papers that you hate. You're so analog, (laughs) babe. You're so 2004. Uh, Anyway, yeah. So Other podcasters out there, if you listen and you're a podcaster, please email us or chat us or some... uh, Chat us? Fucking hit us up and talk about how you don't use papers. No, tell me that you use papers. I like to have physical research in front of me. I get it. Because I take like a page from that article and a page from that article. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, we ready to get into Yeah, that? I think we're <laughs> I'm glad I'm going first. Well, I don't know what you're going to talk about, as we just said, but I'm glad I'm going first because mine is heavy. Weird. I know. Yeah. I know. I just kind of found this. I don't remember where I saw. I saw something about it or I don't remember. I, I stumbled upon right. it and I was like, what is that? And I looked it up and I was like, oh, fuck. So I just started a research and I was like, well, I got to do it now. Yeah. Um. So you, I don't know. You might know about it. I don't know. We ah, will see. Okay. But it's heavy. Heavy. Okay. So this has another title, I will say, that I'm not going to immediately say because I, uh, spoilers? I don't know. I want to just kind of dive into it from the beginning and yeah. Let's get it. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about Kiplin Philip, quote-unquote, Kip Kinkle. He was known as Kip. Kip. Kinkle. Kinkle. Okay. What an unfortunate Kinkle. Kip Kinkle? Yeah, yeah. and the name their kid, Kip. Kip. Kiplin Philip Kinkle. I'd be Phil from the day I was. Oof. But he's Kip. Yeah. Yeah. So he was born August 30th, 1982 in Springfield, Oregon. Okay. And he was the second child of William Kinkle and Faith Zaransky. Mm. However you say her name. They were married January 29th, 1972 and had Kristen Kinkle and then Kiplin. Why are y'all naming your kids I know, multiple right? K's? K. Good thing they didn't uh, do a middle initial K too. They probably fucking thought about it. KKK. And they were like, oh, it's... Is it two on what? the nose? If these are if these are a bunch of fascists, I swear to God. <laughs> okay, so both of his parents were Spanish teachers. Okay, um, Faith, his mom taught at taught Spanish at Springfield High School, and his dad William, which I think he went by Bill, taught at Billy. Thurston High School and Lane Community College. Okay, there was apparently a widespread history of serious mental illness on both sides of the family. Shit. Which was never brought up later on when... Whatever comes to light comes to light. According to all accounts, the Kinkles were loving and supportive and, you know, really great parents and supportive of both of their children. And Kristen, the older... The daughter was a very gifted student and excelled and was very athletic. I think she was a cheerleader... And, you know, successful, popular. Cool. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, as I said, Kip was born in 1982. I'm kind of going to do a little bit of a timeline deal here. Because sure. it just really kind of worked out with my research. I don't know. 
So from 1986 to 1987, the Kinkles took a sabbatical year in Spain, you know, because they were Spanish teachers. They went to Spain for an entire school year. Kristen, she was a fifth grader, but she was placed in a third grade class uh, because it was the only class where the teacher spoke English. Mm. And Kip went into his first year of school with a teacher who only spoke Spanish. And that created a very difficult time for Kip. Because, I mean, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, he can't speak the fucking language, yeah. He's little, let's see, 82, 83, 84, 85. So he's like four. He's going into school. I thought he was in the third grade. No, no, no. I said Kristen got put into a third grade class. Because that was the only teacher that spoke English. Okay, And he got put into, like, thrown into, like, school with, you're, what, four, five? You don't know Spanish. You're not learning shit for real. I mean, what are you... So that was like a hard time for him. They did that sabbatical in Spain, which I think is really weird. And I don't really know why parents would do that to their kids anyway. Shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like homeschool them or something if you're going to take them yeah. over there. Don't throw them into some classes where they don't even have a teacher that they can understand. Right. I don't know. You I, know yeah, what I, I mean? agree. Yeah. How's he going to learn anything? Yeah. Well, that's probably their thought is he'll pick it up. Quick. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So from 1989 to 1990, Kip had to repeat the first grade. So they're back here. They come back and his parents had discussions with his teachers and they decide that Kit needs to be held back for a year. According to court testimony, which I mean, obviously this is going to end up in court anyway. You know, something's, I'm not going, something's going to court. <laughs> Kip's parents and teachers felt that Kip lacked maturity and had slow emotional and physical development. Mm. Okay. So from 1990 to 1991, he's now in second grade and he's having problems with language um, his second Weird. grade teacher, right? <laughs> you were trying to make me learn Spanish. No, I'm not. No, I'm not inglés. Mi culpa. So Kip's second grade teacher testified at his sentencing hearing. Yeah, I know. I'm, we know Kip does some bad shit. What happened, Kip? <laughs> Kip was an average second grader with no disciplinary problems. And they sent him to jail. She said that. <laughs> no, she said that written language caused him really like a lot of frustration mm. and his parents asked the school to test him for a learning disability to see if he was eligible for like special ed classes you know or to be put into like a different right yeah class or whatever okay according to the school counselor he did not qualify uh, he scored above the 90th percentile on the intelligence Intelli- I think I said intelligence on the intelligence. Now he's Italian <laughs> on the intelligence. Test. He's a very intelligent <laughs> on the intelligence test and average on the neurological screening test. Her only concerns were that he had a remarkably low score on motor hand skill, so he had a really hard time like writing and getting shit done with his hands. Which to me. As somebody as an outsider just hearing that is like, well, he's probably dyslexic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Maybe he knows what you're at when you're asking him a question, he can answer it. But when you ask him to put it on paper, he has a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. She said that she observed him during the 25 minute spelling test and saw that although he worked unusually diligently for his age, he had difficulty spelling even his last name. Ah. So So for me, that's like like totally. Dyslexic. Just, yeah. Um, and she just felt like he had a lot of frustration and his anxiety was like really high, especially for being in that second grade. You right. Know? Yeah. Okay. So by third grade, his dad retired from teaching and began teaching night classes at the community college, which I mentioned earlier that he taught at. Yeah. And Kip continued to have problems in school with reading and writing. He excelled in math. 
which maybe numbers were easier a different for type him of to thinking, write, yeah, right? yeah. But his parents asked his third grade teacher to retest him for the special ed services. Sure. And this time he qualified, which is probably a good thing. Well, fuck you guys the first time then. Right? And a plan for special services was made up and he was now put in a, you know, a place where he was probably going to excel and do better knowing do better. That's great yeah. English. Uh, <laughs> um, do more better you now. Know, yeah. Even at the end of his third grade year, he was given an honor award at the end of the year for improvement in reading and working hard to overcome. Overcrumb? To o- way to overcrumb. To overcome his frustration. Yeah. So obviously this is a good fit for him. That's awesome. According to his fourth grade teacher, he was simultaneously oh nailed it good job place in a, simultaneously <laughs> place in a talented and gifted program because of his above average performance in science and math okay but he's got a learning disability okay okay let's jump to seventh grade so we're at 1995 to 1996 his older sister at this point transferred her sophomore year of college from the university of oregon to hawaii pacific where she received a full cheerleading scholarship. As I mentioned earlier, she's excels. She's very smart. She's athletic. She's getting a cheerleading scholarship, which means she's really good because I was a cheerleader and it's And you were really good. But yeah. So after she left home, Kip and some of his friends use the internet at school to order some How to Build Bombs books. Okay. Specifically, the Anarchist's Cookbook. Okay. Is this the fucking, like, Unabomber or something, no, dude? it's not. They were caught, and his mom started to obviously worry a lot about the people that yeah. he was hanging out with. Yeah, And, I get that. you know, maybe they were bad influences. It's not her Kip, you know, maybe it's... Yeah, it's Kip. The, the kids that are yeah. she's, he's hanging around with. So, at a very young age, he had an interest in firearms and explosives, and his parents were not fans of that. And I remember reading somewhere that he wasn't even allowed to have like little toy soldiers or GI Joes or anything like that. Anything that would I wonder, even was be it just violent. So, was it like just so aggressive with it or I, no, I think it was, was all then? around. Yeah. Just in the family. Cause this was an interview of his sisters that they weren't even allowed to watch bugs bunny. So the yeah. parents were very much like not into the violence. So then I guess when he had this fascination towards guns and bombs, his parents were immediately like, And his dad was very much not into that. So they're not, they're definitely not those kind of folk. No. So classmates described Kip as strange and morbid. I'm going to get more into this stuff, but um, a lot of other people characterized him as psychotic or schizoid. Oh, no. And as someone who enjoyed listening to rock bands such as Nine Inch Nails. Rage Against the Machine and Marilyn Manson. Oh, well, that well, that's which, got like, it. That's come obviously on, got like it. Yeah. every yeah, emo kid every goes kid. through that I stage did. or whatever. If y'all saw my music library when I was a teenager, Jesus, cut my right. wrist and block my eyes. <laughs> we liked emo. Um, he also constantly talked about committing acts of violence, telling friends that he wanted to join the army after graduation to find out what it was like to kill someone. Okay. Yeah, that's a little bit different. Here we go. When asked about a family trip to Disneyland, he commented that he wanted to, quote, punch Mickey Mouse in the nose. He once gave a how-to speech in bomb making to his speech class and set off stink bombs in the lockers of his classmates. Whoops. He also studied 
Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet in his English class and related with the protagonists and became enamored. 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 And became enamored with the 1996 modernized film adaptation, which featured heavy use of firearms. Yeah, there was a lot of guns. With all that being said, that was probably within what I'm about to talk about in high school. I was just kind of giving like a... A little laying the groundwork here. Like kind of what... Yeah. Over this course, what Somebody's getting shot or somebody's getting blown up, dude. You just wait. Okay. So by eighth grade, he had... This was 1996 to 1997. He was shoplifting and had apparently started maybe like a hidden gun collection. Oh, shit. So he's an all-around just... Troublemaker at this point. Um, kind of like under the, under the radar. Oh, he's like, so he's good at it. Well, I don't know. So yeah, I think he is getting in trouble, but it's nothing like super major. It's not like, right. I mean, like I have friends that, I mean, I was a goody two shoes and I know my friends, some of my friends got in trouble for shoplifting and I think it's something that they were bad at it as like, uh, yeah, well, as like a (laughs) high schooler. Maybe at a certain point in your life, I never did it, but I, I some of my friends sure, who aren't it. bad yeah. people who've never, you know, committed any other crimes were kind of like testing the waters of like, well, maybe I can slip this nail polish into my pocket. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, like yeah. I think you get to a, you know, maybe like, oh, I'm going to be a badass and I'm going to steal this because I'm, I'm a, a high schooler badass. and I don't have the that was my entire That was my entire thing from like 14 to like 27, I think. Oh, good. I was still with you. <laughs> So he kind of he got sh- uh, caught shoplifting CDs from like a local Target, and later that year, when is, this is when he's in eighth grade, he bought an old sawed-off shotgun from a friend, and then he kept it hidden in his room. So obviously his parents didn't know about it. And at a certain point, I don't know the specific details, but as I said, his 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 dad and mo- was not into him owning guns. But it got to a point where he was so infatuated with them that his dad actually finally took him to like a gun safety and arm safety class. Sure. Because if you're going to be this into it, I'm going to take you and I want you to, you know, be safe about it. And he actually did end up buying him a gun. His dad, who was against it all. Surprise. Trying to to bridge that gap, probably. You know, probably a frustrated parent trying trying to find the way. Yeah, I mean... No, I can see where like his dad was probably trying to find like a happy medium. Like, well, if you're if he's gonna be this obsessed with yeah, it, I'd agree. rather him do it in front of me where he can kind of regulate safely, it, yeah. and I know what he has and whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah, I get it. So January fourth, nineteen ninety seven, there was an incident where Kip went out to a snowboarding. Snoreboarding. Snoreboarding? It's where you just get on the board, bro. You just go to sleep, and then the homies, they just fucking roll you down the hill, bro. It's fucking snoreboarding, bro. Thanks. Thanks. I heard they're fucking putting in the fucking Olympics this year, bro. Okay, moving on. So Kip went to a <laughs> snowboarding clinic oh, much with different. a friend in Bend, Oregon, and the two boys were arrested for throwing rocks over a highway overpass. One of the rocks struck a car... Which obviously is a big fucking deal and not okay. And so they were caught. The um, arresting officer found them back at the hotel they were staying at. And apparently she said when she got there that Kip was crying and asked the officer if anyone was hurt. He was very like remorseful and upset. Like, 
oh my god did we hurt somebody you know we were just being boys bloody blah whatever he claimed that his friend was the one who threw the rock of course he the did. car i get it and but both of them were charged for the offense and were referred to the department of youth services in eugene oregon eugene so that day the police obviously called his parents um, and told them where he was and to come get him. And it was like two hours away. So they, the parents drove Damn, and got him. Which, that's, okay. I bet they were pissed. So at this point, they start counseling for Kip. Yeah. And this was because of the incident from him throwing the, the boulder, stone, the yeah. stones. Yeah. And obviously he's got a fascination with some stuff that makes them uneasy, whatever. So he started to see psychologist Jeffrey Hicks and... According to Hicks's notes, his mom was really worried about him. And she told him that, you know, he was shoplifting, throwing this rocks, blah, blah, blah. And she was concerned about his temper and his, quote, extreme interest in guns, knives, and explosives. And she was afraid that Kip could maybe end up, like, harming himself or others. She asked that he help him learn more about, like, appropriate ways to manage his anger and, you know, figuring out ways to not act out and just deal not with be a, teen, Not be a terrible angst, kid, yeah. I guess, you know. Figure your shit out. They're just pubes, bro. <laughs> Hicks wrote that, quote, Kip became tearful when discussing his relationship with his father. And he reported, reported, he reported that Kip thought his mother viewed him as a good kid with some bad habits while he thought that his father saw him as a bad kid with bad habits. And he felt like his father expected the worst from him. From him, So he had like kind of a strained relationship yeah. with his father in his eyes yeah. at least. It's but tough. this therapist found apparently in this first meeting no evidence of thought disorder or psychosis. And he ended up diagnosing Kip with major depressive disorder and concluded that Kip had difficulty with learning in school, had difficulty managing anger, some angry acting out and depression, which is like kind of a lot as yeah. well. I mean, you know, so he continued to see the therapist. And as it went on, they did find that it seemed like they, he was improving and they felt like he really genuinely felt remorse for, you know, the things that he'd done, like throwing right. this rock. Yeah. Over the, which I, could potentially, potentially have been a really big deal if it had hit like. Could have killed the, somebody. Yeah, exactly. And they felt like it was more of like a boyish crime and, you know, whatever. He was going to yeah. learn from it. And they decided that he needed to complete 32 hours of community service and write an apology letter to the person that he hit with the, the car that they hit and to pay for the damages of the car. Which is kind of a lot, but, yeah. you know. A lot for his parents who are going to be footing that bill. Probably, right? But at this point, really, the therapist was not really seeing anything out of the ordinary. Yeah. Out, of, out the, of the what? Out of the ordinary. It's <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> good. So a couple sessions later, which was actually April 4th, 1997, my birthday. Oh, my gosh. How old was I? Um, 97? You've been, nine year, you've been no, 10 years old. Eight? Eight. Eight years what? old. Jesus, I don't know. 97. I was born in 89, so I've been yeah. eight years old. I thought old. you were older than me for a second. Nope, I'm younger than you. <laughs> um, the therapist noted that he had an ongoing interest in explosives and that he remained depressed, but less angry. Okay. Okay. Less pissed off. That's a good start. April 23rd through the 29th, 
Kip gets two suspensions at school. He was suspended for two days for kicking another student in the head after the student shoved him. Which, okay, defend yourself. Probably still not okay. Kick him in the fucking head. (laughs) Yeah, but the other boy didn't get punished. So Kip was very angry about that. Um, Uh. Also, he got three-day suspension for throwing a pencil at another boy. I mean, he was clearly on thin ice, though. But he must have been, like, aiming that pencil like a motherfucking yeah, dart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He didn't just, like, throw. He was like, Lobbed I'm going to stab you in the eye with yeah. this pencil. Right? Okay. So by about the sixth counseling session, Hicks, at this point, he discussed using antidepressant, antidepressants with Kip and that he starts to try Prozac. And he wrote... That Kip reports eating is like a chore. He complains that food doesn't taste good and often feels bored and irritable. He feels tired upon awakening most mornings. He reports there is nothing to which he is looking forward. He denies suicidal ideation, intent, or plan of action. The therapist also forwarded these notes to his primary care doctor so that he would have them, obviously, with a recommendation that Kip be put on Prozac for depression. And... He agreed, and four days later, he was put on 20 milligrams of Prozac per day. Okay. Okay? Here we go. So after he had been on Prozac for about 12 days, he told his therapist he was sleeping better, His didn't he wasn't having temper outbursts, and he was taking the medication as prescribed and was not having, like, any side effects. So And he also appeared very much, like, less depressed. Nice. So that's good, Okay, right? here we go. Good. Way to go, Kit. Great. Maybe we're going to get out Great. of this. No. Damn. This is going to take a bad turn. I'm ready. So as I said, uh, his dad did end up buying him a gun. He went with his dad to buy, and he got him a 9mm Glock 19. It's a good gun. Yeah, I don't know anything about guns. Uh, But the understanding between them was that Kip would do the research on which model gun he wanted, and he would pay for it with his own money, and he would not use the gun without his father's presence, and the gun would not become Kip's. It possession would, like he was gonna yes, hold on to it yeah it wouldn't be kid's possession until he was 21 years old his doctor the therapist dr hicks made no mention of the gun purchase in his psychological notes although in court testimony he stated that kip told him that his dad had purchased a handgun for him after some persist- persistence on his part and that it was kept out of his reach and to be used only under supervision when asked in court if he had concerns about buying a gun for kip when he had just started on Prozac and had an excessive interest in guns and firearms. Firearms? Firearms. Uh, His doctor responded, no one consulted me about the decision. And yes, I had had concerns about that. So obviously, probably not a good idea, but his dad was just trying to, I don't know. Okay, so he had like a couple more sessions with this therapist. And then by July 30th, 1997, he had his final counseling session where his doctor said that he was doing well, he he did not appear depressed, and that his parents and they and Kip and all of them agreed that he was doing good enough on his medication that he could just discontinue treatment. Sure. So now he's gonna stop seeing this. You know. He's good therapist. to go now. He's got a gun in Prozac. He's straight. <gasps> what could go wrong? He's a teenager on Prozac with a gun. Summer of 1997, Kip bought a 22 pistol from a friend that he kept hidden from his parents. So he's also got that sawed-off shotgun hidden somewhere too, right? Did you see something about sawed-off shotgun? I think I did mention that. Yeah. I mean, the weapons will yeah. come back up, but yeah. So from 1997 to 1998, this was Kip's freshman year. He entered Thurston High School, and according to his friends and parents, he did 
a lot better in school and things were really starting to look up. And his dad even said that his dad's friend, Don Stone, who was the football coach, had even called Kip at home and invited him to come out to try out for like the freshman football team. Okay. So, like, okay, come out. Let's have a blast. Let's do Let's have a blast. Bada, bada, bada. That's a I hope that's not a terrible pun you just made. It actually was a terrible pun. I thought of that. I want you to know that it I thought of the pun. It wasn't in the moment. I want you to know that I thought of your pun that you made. Isn't that so good, though? It's really good. Yo, the We Drink and We Know Things podcast cocktail book coming out soon. No big deal. For real, though. I mean. So, fall 1997, Kip goes off of Prozac after three months. And as something as a lot of people know, or maybe you don't know, a common thing when you get on an antidepressant or uh, an anxiety medication and you start to feel better, a, a common thing is that people think, well, I'm feeling better. I don't need to be on this anymore. Which is not what should happen because you're feeling better because you're on the medication. Right. And there's nothing wrong with taking the medication. But people get to this mindset where like, oh, I'm better. I don't need to take this pill every day. Which I think might have been something in this situation. <clears throat> that was a good song. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so September 30th, 1997. So we're still in the fall. He's off of his medication. His dad buys him a 22 semi-automatic rifle. Yeah, it's a just uh, every so time like he a pull- hefty gun. I don't know. What that no, is. A 22, very small caliber. Oh, not very not, small caliber. So, yeah. so semi-automatic. That every time you pull the trigger, it's gonna shoot. You don't okay. have to cock it each okay. time. Same condition that he would only use it under his supervision and he had to buy it with his own money and he had to chill until he he's 21. He wouldn't have it until, it wouldn't really be his until he was 21. Right. That same year, right around that same time, around September 30th, Kip gives a talk on how to make a bomb in his speech class. He shows detailed drawings of explosives attached to a clock. And according to the kids in class, a girl in the class gave a speech on how to join Church of Satan. So his topic maybe wasn't that crazy because... Comparatively. Right? Well, you know, 2019, you can believe whoever you want. You know, the Church of Satan's gained some, uh, gained some ground there. December 14th, 1997, um, his dad confides in a stranger, apparently. While at a San Diego airport waiting for a flight home with a friend, his dad struck, a, struck up a conversation with... Dan Close, an Oregon University professor who specializes in juvenile violence. They talked for about two hours and they began their conversation talking about Kristen, which is his sister. But then he said that that she was going to be graduating from college in August and he told Professor Close how much he was looking forward to going to Hawaii with the family and being able to see her for her graduation, blah, blah, blah. According to Dan Close, he then saw a forensic book in his bag and started talking about his troubled son. So Bill told Dan Close that in the last couple of years, Kip had started hanging out with a tougher group of kids, playing with explosives, and that he was becoming difficult to manage, more secretive, and having troubles in school. Yeah. So this is just his dad kind of opening up to somebody else, right? Uh, March 24th, 1998 was the Jonesboro school shootings. And according to a friend of Kip's, they watched some of the school shootings coverage on TV monitors at school. And he had said, like, oh, that's pretty cool. Well, that's cool. Like, hey, that's cool. I feel like I see what's coming a little bit. See what's coming on down the road. May 1998, 
Kip spent the night at his friend Tony's house. And they organized a bunch of friends to beat the school's TP record. So they spent the week hoarding up toilet paper in his friend Tony's garage. And then that night they snuck out of the house and met a bunch of other uh, kids at midnight. And they ended up toilet paper. Pa- <laughs> they ended up toilet papering another house with 400 rolls of toilet paper. Damn. That is so, like. Y'all are not adults because you do not know how much money you just threw away. That's so, I mean, if and, and especially based on the cubic math of toilet roll sheets, I mean, that must have been three, three million, three thousand, three hundred thousand right. miles worth right. of, of TP. Right. 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 The next day, Kip, along with all the others, had to go clean off the house because apparently they don't know how to fucking toilet they- paper a house. But I mean, if you're throwing 400 rolls... If we have somebody throwing 400 rolls of toilet paper it's outside of our house. Everywhere. No, no, I mean, at one point, we're we probably going to look out the window and be like, we we'll fucking see you. Yeah, it was at midnight, motherfuckers. Yeah, but we're often, we're up, we're always up past midnight. We're heathens. True. And with that incident, apparently, Kip was one of the only few of all the boys whose parents actually grounded him for it. So, whatever that says. May 19th, 1998, Kip's friend steals a 32 caliber pistol from... I think it's his dad, Scott Keeney, and oh no, he stole it from the father of one of his friends. Kip stole it. No, no, no. his one of Kip's friends stole, stole a gun from his from, his own. I pop. thought it was from his father, but I've 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 seen that it was from his own father, and I've seen that it was from the friend of. So I don't know. He stole the gun, right? Know, right. Whatever. Gun's gone. And he arranged over the phone that he was going to sell it to Kip the next day. It's unclear whether or not Kip knew that the gun was stolen or not. He just knew he was going to buy this gun. So the next day at freaking 8 a.m., May 20th, 1998, Kip went to school and bought this gun, this 32 caliber Beretta semi-automatic pistol loaded with nine round clip for $110 in cash. And he put it in a paper sack into his locker at school. Okay. Um, He's got nine rounds. So Scott Keeney, the guy who owned the gun, called the school to report that his gun was missing, which I find very weird but I guess he just, the minute he saw it was, but like who checks to see if their guns are there every morning? I don't know. Maybe it's where he keeps his wallet. Maybe, Maybe it's something where, weird. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he kept it in his back pocket every day right. and he went to go grab it and it wasn't the there. The kid didn't know. And so he calls the school and is like, there's a bunch of these hoodlum kids up there and gives like a list of names. He's like, I bet one of them took it. Kip was not on that list. Ooh. A detective went to the school and was interviewing a lot of the kids that this guy thought might have taken his gun and eventually she ended up talking to Kip. I don't know how she ended up talking to Kip because he wasn't on the list. But at about 9.15 a.m., he was pulled out of study hall. And the detective told him that they were there to investigate the disappearance of a, one of the parents' handguns. And Kip just flat out admitted to having the gun in his locker. He even said something like, I don't have the quote. He's like, I'm going to give it to you straight. It's in my locker. Just straight up was like, yeah, it's mine. It's in my locker. I got it. They promptly took him off of the school premises, you know, in handcuffs. He was immediately suspended from school and was on a pending expulsion. Expulsion? Yeah, you can't bring a fucking gun to school. Right. Well, right. So Kip was brought to the police station and he was fingerprinted, photographed, charged with possession of a firearm in public or in a public building and the felony charge of receiving a stolen weapon, which, like I said, we don't know if he knew it was stolen, but still, it doesn't matter. He had it at school. 
According to the detective, Kip was very upset and worried about what his parents were going to think. And, you know, he was crying. He was really upset. He was scared about what was going to happen to him. And just a little while after all that happened, this was 1130 a.m., his dad comes and picks him up from the police station and takes him home. So he's not like being he's not under, held, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he's definitely being charged. Yeah, and it's a felony. Oof. Kip's very upset. He... Oh, he's a felon. He's going to be. Right. And what his parents think of him is like everything. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to disappoint them. It's about to get really heavy. Let's do it. So. You've been saying it's heavy. I'm waiting I know. For it. I know. It's because I was like giving the lead up. Now yeah, it's yeah. going to just be crazy. Let's get so, it. So they get home and his mom, Kip's mom is at work. It's middle of the day. His dad's teaching. I think at this point he's doing the night classes. So his mom is at work during the day teaching. His dad's home during the day. Yeah. So his mom doesn't know about any of this yet. Kip's father was sitting at the kitchen counter drinking coffee. And according to Kip's confession, he grabbed the 22 rifle from his room, got ammunition from his parents' room, went downstairs, and fired one shot into the back of his father's head. Fuck. Yeah. Kip then dragged his father's body into the bathroom and covered it with a sheet. So this is immediately following his this shit that just he happened. He just got arrested, just got home, killed his dad. Goes his dad's sitting at the table or sitting at the counter, probably thinking, "What are we gonna do? How are we gonna tell your mom?" Kip's freaking out, like, "What's mom gonna think?" And he gets the rifle and he shoots his dad in the back of the head. Oh no! Around three thirty, this is why I was kind of doing this timeline because this part is kind of interesting to me as far as like in regards to what all happens. So about three thirty. Kevin Rowan, who is an English teacher from the school, calls the house. And Kip answers. And he told him that he said he had made a mistake. And he told him that his father was not there. He'd already killed his father at this point. Approximately 4 o'clock, Kip calls his friend. And Kip's friend asks where Kip's dad was. And Kip said his father went to the store. Kip's friend said his call waiting was going off. And that he had gotten off the phone quickly because he had another call. So about 4.30 p.m., Bill Kinkle's Spanish student's call. Okay. Because, you know, he was doing, he had he the was, night yeah. class. And so it was somebody from Lane Community College were calling to see where Bill was because he was missing class. And Kip answered the phone saying his father wouldn't make it to class because of, quote, family problems. He's not wrong. Uh, right after that, Kip talked on the phone in a conference call with his friends Tony and Nick. And Kip told them that he didn't know the gun was Keeney's, the guy who it was stolen from. He was saying, oh, I didn't know that it was stolen. And he told them that his dad was out at a bar. And he told them that he was worried about what his parents' friends would think of what he did and that his parents would be so embarrassed when people found out. And he kept saying, it's over, everything's over, it's done. Nothing matters now. Kip told his friend Tony and Nick that his stomach was hurting and that he felt like he was going to throw up. He told them that he just wanted the gun and that he knew he shouldn't have done it and that he wasn't planning on doing anything with it. He went back and forth between being upset and angry. And according to his friend Tony, Kip kept asking, where's my mom? When is she going to be home? To his friends who like... Yeah, don't. they don't know when the so fuck your mom like is getting home. You better manic, hope your homies don't know when manic, your mom gets home. A little crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So at approximately 6.30 p.m., Faith, his mom, arrives home. Oh, God. Kip met his mom in the garage, 
And according to his audio tape police confession, he told her that he loved her. Then he shot her twice in the back of the head, three times in the face, and once in the heart. God damn. Yeah. And he then proceeded to drag her body across the garage floor and covered it with a sheet. Fuck. See, there was one point. Oh, yeah. There's one, this point right here that I wanted to read when he's being interviewed. This is like obviously after the fact. The detective says, so you told me that your mom gets out of the Ford Explorer and starts up the stairs from the garage or basement, right? He says, yes. He says, do you say anything to her? And he says, yes, I told her I loved her. And the detective says, and then you shot. He says, yes, God damn these voices inside my head. Oh, bud. So there's that. Okay. It gets worse. God damn it. <laughs> okay. At this point, he's murdered both of his parents. At 7.30 a.m. the next day, Kip dresses himself in a long trench coat. He filled his backpack with ammunition and carried three guns, a 22 caliber semi-automatic Ruger rifle, his father's 9mm Glock pistol, and a 22 caliber Ruger semi-automatic pistol. He taped a hunting knife to his leg and drove his mother's Ford Explorer to his school. So he was carrying... 1,127 rounds of ammunition. He parked on North 61st Street, which was two blocks from the school. He jogged to the campus, entered the patio area, and fired two shots. One fatally wounding Ben Walker and the other wounding Ryan Atterbury. He then went to the cafeteria and walking across it, fired the remaining 48 rounds from his rifle Wounding 24 students. Fuck. And fatally wounding 17-year-old Michael or Mikkel Nicholson. Nicholson. He then fired a total of 50 rounds, 37 of which struck students and killed two. Ah, fuck. Um, when his it's rifle... Official, it's officially heavy. Yeah. When his rifle ran out of ammunition and he began to reload this badass motherfucker, a wounded student, Jacob Riker... Tackled him. Get him, Jacob. Assisted by several other students. Nah, it's Jacob. Kinkle drew the Glock from his belt and fired one shot before he disarmed, injuring Riker again, as well as another student. He yelled at the students, just kill me. The students restrained him until the police arrived to arrest him. A total of seven students were involved in subduing and disarming him. Which, he wasn't even like a big kid either. He's a, well, he's got a couple of guns on him. He's pretty scary. No, I know, but it took. I mean, well, yeah. and I'm sure some of them were a man wounded. possessed too. I mean, it's yeah, it's a wild thing when you're not when you don't give a fuck. So once he was in custody, he had been patted down, and they missed the knife that he had taped to him. Oh no! So he retrieved the knife that was on his leg and attacked a police officer, begging to be fatally shot. So he like definitely wanted this to be one of, like a suicide mission. He was like he wanted yeah, to like be suicide shot by a cop. Killed. Yeah, oh my but god! But the officer subdued him with pepper spray. Don't so you get you little shit. Shot. You don't get to. Well, he's got he's got his demons, but you still you 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 lose oh. sympathy at a certain oh my point. God. You know what I mean? Oh my god. Uh, Mikhail Nicholson, the uh, one he died at the scene, and Walker died after being transported to the hospital and kept on life support until his parents arrived. Um, the other students, including Riker, who was the one who tackled him yeah. initially. Um, were also taken to the hospital with a variety of wounds. And Riker actually had a 
perforated lung. Jesus. But he made a full recovery. He's a bad, so he's he's a bad motherfucker was right like, there. You shot me, but you are not going to kill everybody in here and fucking tackled him, which yeah, is so brave. The, the amount of the, so brave. the shit in your genetics to make you run towards. I mean, it's it's and that kid, that a badass. He actually received the Boy Scouts of America Honor Medal with crossed palms for his heroism on the day of the attack. Yeah, but I hope that's not the least of what he got. That's awesome. Oh, another fucked up thing I forgot to say was that so throughout the morning after he'd killed his parents when he was getting ready to go do this, uh-huh. he was playing, I don't know how you say it. It's Yeah, I don't know. Leibestod? 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 It's L-I-E-B-E-S-T-O-D. It's the final dramatic aria from Wagner's opera Tristan and is old. Is old. Yeah. On the family's surround sound. Jesus. And it was it was a song that was featured in the 1996 Romeo and Juliet. You know, which I said that he was apparently obsessed, obsessed with. with. Yeah. And when the police arrived at the house, when they finally figured out everything and went, to, you know, obviously either go find the parents, figure out what was wrong. Opera music was blaring when they got there, which is so creepy. If you ask me. Yeah, it's really creepy. At this point, he's murdered both of his parents. He has gone to his school. He's shot many kids. So many. He injured so many. Some of them. So on May 22nd, 1998, he was charged with four counts of aggravated murder. Because thank God he only... I mean, it's so awful, but he only ended up killing two students. But um, June 16th, 1998, he was indicted on 58 felony charges, including four counts of aggravated murder and on September 24th 1999 he pled guilty to four counts of murder and 26 counts of attempted murder you ain't never getting out bro after a six-day hearing that included the testimony of psychiatrists and psychologists who interviewed Kip the victim statements his sister's statement the Lane County Circuit Judge Jack Madison sentenced Kip to 111 years in prison without the possibility of of parole. Good little motherfucker. That's crazy. So something that I found interesting was that so his older sister, right? Right. That poor girl. What happened? Hawaii. To her? Yeah. She was in Hawaii. And she actually wrote a letter to the judge. I'm not gonna read it because it's really long, but I'm just gonna give some snippets because I found it interesting. She said, Dear Judge Madison, I'm shaken by how difficult this letter is for me to write. I was told that you may need it to better understand my little brother i wish there was an ideal place to begin but where does one start when a loved one's life is laid across someone else's table what keeps me believing in him and loving him is the fact that he is a good person that came from a good home true but the other part's false she said i feel silly writing that because it seems so contradictory looking at what actually took place however it's the truth and it keeps me alive I wish more than anything that you, the man who decides his fate, could know him like I do. So a little bit of the Kip Kinkle that I know is where I will begin. So then she goes on to like write this long letter to this judge, which she's like not necessarily defending, but almost asking for like for, you know, like understanding on him. She also says at one point, my first visit with him after this happened was at Skipworth and consisted of only crying it took two weeks for him to make eye contact with me and even longer to say something when he finally did it was i am so sorry and 
she keeps going what on. Fucking Betty is. Yeah, and she ends it with, thank you for your time in reading this. I wanted to speak from my heart and hope you will forgive the informality of this letter. I realize you have a huge amount of things to consider in this case, and I hope I haven't sounded like a nagging sister. Thanks again for your attention. Which I find very odd. Just to, now I'm going to wrap it up. I'm sorry. I know this has probably gone long. This may end up being a two-parter, guys. Because I have, I didn't realize how long this one was going to be. But I, 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 I just dove into it. And yeah. it's like so nuts to me. I found an article that was posted May 10th, 2018. Well, okay. So he was trying to come back and um, get a retrial. Like I'm trying to appeal. Saying that he was, he was quick to just plead guilty instead of his lawyers, you know, taking the approach of like insanity. Yeah. And that he was so young that he felt like he got life in prison and that was too much for a kid at his age. For a kid that But shot. actually he didn't get life in prison. He just got enough years that he's never getting means out. he's gonna be in yeah. there. But uh the Oregon Supreme Court they ruled that a hundred and twelve year prison sentence for the shooter Kip isn't cruel and unusual punishment given the breadth and severity of his crimes. Uh, at the time of this, he was 35 and he was still trying to appeal his sentence, arguing that it amounts to a life in sentence, a life sentence, as I said, without parole and violates the Eighth Amendment because he committed his crimes when he was a juvenile. Basically, I was looking into like how he's doing now and it's kind of annoying because he got his GED right when he went in he now has a bachelor's degree and he's got his electrical license and he's the prisoner's electrician. He's teaching yoga and he's in the men- he's teaching yoga in the mental health ward of the prison and he's, you know, like on the basketball team and oh look at this picture of him right there where he's adopted this kitten. He used to work he he worked in the prison library. And if he's not, it says if he's not exercising, he's a it's all extreme reader, and he's you know reading, and that he's found spirituality and blah 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 and blahdy blahdy blah. And I'm sorry that was so long winded, but it was something that I didn't I didn't know about. I yeah, I never that. heard about and it. And it actually happened a year before Columbine. Columbine. Yeah, wow. And I guess it wasn't. I get a lot more kids die. You know, a lot of kids died in Columbine, right? Yeah, and I so, so I think this was just, it's fucked up. But it's also like he murdered his parents and then did this. Yeah. So it's also, he's also known as the Thurston High School shooter, which I didn't start out with. But yeah. that's the story of this motherfucker, Kip. Well, this motherfucker needs a drink after that. That was very heavy. I know. I'm sorry. Jeez, oh, Pete. Which also fucked up is right before we started this, I got a notification from our local news. About a kid article, having a gun. About a kid yeah. having a gun at school. Jesus. Well, first of all, mental health. Nothing to ignore. Ugh. It's fucked up. And I listened to a lot of his, um, when he was being like interviewed, interrogated by the police, and he's like sobbing and, but, well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's I mean, one of those things, man. It's fucked up. So, sorry about that. All those poor families, man. I know. All right. Ready for yours? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully yours isn't as heavy. Mine's not heavy at all. Okay, good. <laughs> Hi again. As you know, this is usually the moment when we start the next story, but this week we decided to split our stories into two separate episodes because, well, quite frankly, we both talked way too long on our own topics. 
But next episode slash second half will be out in a few days and we will literally pick up right where we left off. Thanks for listening, guys. See you soon.